Thank you, Tyler and uh, crew. Uh, good to see you this morning in the Lord's house. Take your Bible and turn, if you will, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Many of you know, if you've been with us, that uh, after we uh, got past Easter, of course, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for the last several weeks, and we're going to continue to do this, probably for several more weeks, we're looking at the early church. We're looking in the book of Acts to see what happened after Jesus rose from the grave and He ascended back up into heaven. And of course, He sent the Holy Spirit to give the church power and direction and guidance. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 and we're going to begin in verse number 36 this morning. And just to bring you up to date, uh, if you were with us last Sunday, you know we were in Acts chapter 4 and we saw the boldness and we just finished up there in verse 31 where they had been uh, persecuted. They had healed a crippled man, Peter and John, on the way into the temple. And uh, this drew a lot of attention to them. And they were brought before the chief priest. And they were warned not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. But of course, they said, listen, you know, we, we have to obey the Lord. And we have to speak the things that we've seen and heard. And they went back together with the church. They prayed. And in verse 31 it says, And when they had prayed... The place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. So we ended last week with a bold witness for Jesus. The, the members of the early church were filled with the Holy Spirit and they had a bold witness for Jesus. Well, we look now in verse 32 and we see that they were all giving to the Lord's work to move the church forward. And we find in verse 36, it says, And Joseph, or Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This year we lost one of the great lights of this past century in the Christian church, and that was, of course, Billy Graham, who went on to be with the Lord. And I've heard people say, boy, we really need another, a modern-day Billy Graham. That's what we, we really need, somebody uh, with his uh, integrity and, and with his anointing from the Holy Spirit to carry the flag, to carry the cross of Christianity to the world. Well, I certainly wouldn't argue with that, the Lord can anoint and raise up another Billy Graham if he so chooses. But I might present to you this morning that it's not so much another Billy Graham that we need. I would present to you it is a lot of Barnabases that we need. I want to talk about Barnabas this morning. In Acts chapter 4 verse 36, it is the first mention of this man Barnabas. Now something interesting about Barnabas, we're going to read about him all throughout the book of Acts. We don't have any recorded sermon that Barnabas preached, although he did preach some. He, he taught and he preached. Barnabas wrote no book of the Bible that we have. Uh, there's no record of Barnabas writing a book of the Bible. But what we do know about Barnabas is that God used him to impact the lives of many people in the book of Acts. And I want to just present to you this morning that you can, maybe can't be a Billy Graham. I certainly can't. No, I, You could say amen there if you'd like. 
you know, I know I'm not a Billy Graham and you're not a Billy Graham. And, uh, you know, sometimes we spend so much time looking at what we can't do. I guess it's human nature. We think, boy, if I was gifted like this person or boy, if I could sing like this person or if I could, if I could speak like this person, and boy, if I, was, if I could talk to people like this person, boy, if I was like this person, man, I would really do a lot for God. If I had the money this person has, all the good I would do, the, the, all the giving I would do. And you know the story. I, I've told this story a hundred times, but I, it makes a good point about the two old men sitting on the porch. You know, and, and they're both poor. They don't have anything. And they're sitting there, and, and uh, Billy and Johnny are the names. And Billy turns to Johnny and says, Now, Johnny, he said, If you had two houses, would you give me one? And Johnny says, Billy, you and I have been together since children. Man, if I had two houses, I'd sure give you one. He said, well, I'm glad. Waited a minute. He said, now, Johnny, he said, if you had two cars, would you give me one? He said, Billy, let me tell you something. I love you like a brother. I'd give, if I had two cars, I'd give you two cars. He waited a few minutes. He said, Johnny, if you had two hogs, would you? He said, now, Billy, you shut up. You know I got two hogs. <laughs> and that's us. We're so willing to give what we do not possess. We think, boy, if I could preach, I, what a preacher I'd be. You know? If I could sing, what a singer I'd be. If I had money, how much I'd give. All the things we don't have, we're able to do so much with. But I want to present to you that all of us, every one of us in this building this morning, I'm going to give you some things that Barnabas did in the book of Acts and none of these things that he did are things that you cannot do or I cannot do. All of us here can do these things that Barnabas did in the book of Acts. So I just want to share that with you this morning. We need more Barnabases. And you can be a Barnabas. Look in Acts chapter 4 verse 36. What did it say that he did? The first time he's mentioned in the book of Acts, it says that he had land, he sold it, and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. The first thing that we see about Barnabas is that he was generous. You can be generous. You don't have to have a lot of money to be generous. As a matter of fact, the Bible says if you are faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. If you're faithless in little, you'll be faithless in much. So whatever you have, you can be generous whether you are rich or poor, to be willing to give, to be willing to help those that are in need. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul speaking to a young preacher by the name of Timothy, Paul said, Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the age to come so that they may take hold of life that is real. My friend, Barnabas was a man. He was a Levite. He was in the early church. God was doing a work. He said, you know, I want to help this work. So he had some property. He sold that property and he gave that money to the work of the early church. Now, I'm not telling you to go sell your land and give it to the church, but if you want to, we'll, I'll give you the address to send it if you'd like. But what I'm telling you is to be generous. To be generous. You know, sometimes folks' idea of tithing is, 
You know, they go out and party all Saturday night and whatever they've got left, they look in their billfold and they say, well, here's a 10, I'll give that to God. I didn't need it last night. No, my friend, God deserves the best. He deserved the first fruits, not what you have left over after you get through doing what you want to do, but God wants the best. He wants the first. And you give Him the first fruit, not just of your money, but of your talents, of everything that you possess, of your intellect, of all that you have. You give God the best of what you have. Be generous. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens. So number one, Barnabas was a man who had an open heart. He was a generous man with his possessions. Now, notice secondly in Acts chapter 9, turn a few pages over. And we're going to find Barnabas mentioned a second time. And what is he doing now? First of all, the first time we see Barnabas, he's giving money away. He's a generous man. He's helping out God's work. In Acts chapter 9, what is he doing? In verse number 23. Now, in Acts 9, we find that a new person meets Christ. We know him as Saul, better known perhaps as Paul. Saul, you remember, was persecuting the church. He hated the church. Saul was famous in the early Christian church not because he was a great preacher, but because he was a great persecutor. He went around, he arrested Christians, he hauled them off to prison. Everybody knew who Saul was. They ran from Saul. They, they prayed that God would strike Saul down, that would, God would keep Saul from attacking them. And Saul was saved on the road to Damascus. And now Saul wants to join and be part of the church. Well, how would you feel if, you know, someone who was an enemy of the church, who did everything they could to destroy the church, all of a sudden they showed up and said, Hey, I want to I be a part now. I want to be a part. Can I come to y'all's, you know, secret meetings you're having? You're like, sure. We know what you're doing. That's the oldest trick in the book. You're going to pretend to be one of us. You're going to come in. We're going to let you in. You're going to take notes. You're going to find out who all the leaders are. And then you're going to bust in and you're going to haul everybody away. No way. Well, you know, we, we know that trick. We're not letting you in uh, our secret meetings, our secret prayer time. Well, notice in Acts chapter 9, verse 23, Barnabas hooks up with Saul. It says, Now after many days were passed... The Jews plotted to kill him, that is to kill Saul because he was preaching Jesus. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So what did Barnabas do to Paul? Paul is a new believer. Paul's having trouble getting people to believe that he is really a believer. Barnabas steps in, and Barnabas embraces his former enemy, Saul, and he says, I'll vouch for this man. I'll vouch for him. Listen, I've heard him preach. He's preached Jesus. The Jews, his former allies in the persecution of the church, they tried to kill him. 
And he risked his life for the faith. I vouch for this man. I stand for this man. I will be a reference for this man Saul. He is a true believer. What Barnabas did, he befriended those who were friendless. He befriended the friendless. Number one, he was generous, and you can be generous. Number two, he reached out his hand to someone that others were having trouble accepting, and he was a friend to the friendless. You can be that. You can be a friend to the friendless. You can reach out to someone that others have trouble accepting, and you can be, as Barnabas was, an encourager and a friend to the friendless. You know, a lot of times, and I'm, I'm going to talk to myself now, you know, I, I love to preach, and I hope I, I shared last week, you should want to share your faith and, and be bold in sharing your faith. But I, I think sometimes we as Christians, and maybe I should say as preachers, uh, you know, we're always wanting to, 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 to preach and to, and to give, you know, somebody the story of the gospel, and that's wonderful. But sometimes people need something else first. You know, I've shared this story before. I, I love... Um, Char- uh, I must not love him. I can't think of his name. Charlie Brown. You know, the Peanuts uh, uh, com- comic strip. And, you know, Lucy, you know, she's the philosopher. If you're familiar with that comic strip, you know, Lucy knows everything. And she's trying to teach Charlie Brown something one time. And, and she says, well, Charlie Brown, you know, you have to have a purpose in life. And you have to, you know, kind of figure out where you're coming from. And, and uh, she said, now, now here's what it's like, Charlie Brown. Have you ever been on a cruise ship? He says, well, yeah. He says, well, you know how people on a cruise ship, they get those, the, the, those chairs and they unfold those chairs and, and, and they lay out in the sun. And Charlie Brown, some people lay on the back of the boat, facing the back of the boat, and they like to see where they've been. They just lay back there and they, they see the water going by. Other people, they go to the front of the boat and they lay out their chair. They want to see where they're going and, and they're looking forward. So Charlie Brown, on the sea of life, Which way is your chair facing? What a great philosophical statement. Charlie Brown looks at her and he says, I've never been able to get my chair unfolded. (laughs) And I think sometimes, you know, we as, maybe I'm pointing this more at preachers than I am at you. You know, we're going to give somebody some great oratory. Which way is your chair facing on the sea of life? Here's a question for you. Think about that deep question. And folks are sitting out there and they're saying, you know, I hadn't even gotten to there yet. I'm still trying to get the chair unfolded. I I don't really even know what's going on here. And, And oftentimes people don't need a sermon. What they need is a hug. What they need is a handshake. What they need is for someone to come alongside them and embrace them and be a friend to them. And then an opportunity will arise to share with that person after you've befriended them. And so Barnabas there, he took Saul that everybody in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was the headquarters of the early church. That was where all the, uh, all the administration, if you will, all the leaders were. And he goes there to the headquarters and he wants to be a part. He's called of God. He knows God has a plan for him, but they won't receive him. They say, no, no, no. And Barnabas steps in, he embraces him, and he is a friend to the friendless. Well, the third time we see Barnabas, a couple of chapters over, go to chapter 11, chapter 11 and verse number 19, and we see Barnabas at work again. 
says, Now when those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only, but some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, that is, some of the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he had came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. So he befriended the befriendless. He was generous. And thirdly, he encouraged new beginners. Here's these new Christians. They were Greeks. They were not like a Jew, not like him, like Barnabas. But yet he went out to them, he saw God's grace in their life, and he gave them encouragement. My friend, when someone comes in and they become a Christian, they often need encouragement. You need to reach out a hand and you need to say, listen, don't give up. Listen, uh, don't quit. Continue in the Lord. Keep moving forward. Be firm and, and, and be faithful. God is faithful. You be faithful to Him. And Barnabas reached out and he was an encourager to those who began. Now, I'm sure he could have found a lot of things to criticize those Greek believers. They weren't like him. He was, had been raised a Jew. Uh, he was, uh, had Jewish traditions and he began to see these Greek believers and they probably did some things that maybe, uh, you know, he wasn't familiar with. Maybe that wasn't the way he would do them, but the Bible says that he encouraged them. He gave them encouragement. So let's not be quick to criticize, especially a new believer, but let's always be willing to encourage. I've told this story numerous times before, but I'll never forget, and it has stayed in my mind uh, really the whole time. Uh, remember Cliff Sims, who was our youth leader here for a while back in uh, the early, yeah, say, 06, 07, 08, and uh, Cliff was right out of high school. He was in college, had a great heart for the Lord. You know, j j just did a great work here as our youth leader. And um, I remember one Sunday night, maybe it was Sunday morning, the youth were, were, were doing a, they were speaking. And Cliff was part of the, uh, he was part of the, of, of the he was going to speak too. And I remember Cliff walking up to the podium, and I'm the pastor, and I look down and Cliff has on a pair of sandals. Open-toed sandals, like beach sandals. And I'm thinking to myself, sandals? Really? You know, but Cliff, you're speaking today. You know, you're going to be speaking to everybody today, and you've got on a pair of sandals. Now, I never said anything to him. I never said anything to anybody, but this is in my mind. In my mind, I'm being critical of his dress. I'm thinking, you know, I really think you probably should have wore some better shoes, you know, than a pair of sandals on Sunday morning to speak behind the pulpit. Do you know where Cliff is today? Most of you do, don't you? He's somewhere in Indonesia or somewhere in, in, in the Muslim Far East living out there where most of us would be scared to visit but he has a wife, a pregnant wife, by the way, and a little girl that's about six years old. And she's growing up out there in this Muslim country. And you know what he's doing? He's wearing sandals. 
and he's going around teaching people how to grow coffee. That's the cover, by the way. Teaching people how to grow coffee. He's a Southern Baptist missionary out there teaching and sharing Jesus with people. Now, over the years, that has taught me a great lesson. When I think back how I was inwardly critical of something that really doesn't matter. I think Jesus probably preached in sandals as best I can tell, maybe barefoot. In my mind, I'm thinking, you know, you need to have respect for the Lord's house and, and nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But you see, I was letting something very minor create a negativity in my mind for a young man that obviously has a great heart for Jesus and loves Jesus very much. And how many times are we sometimes critical Maybe in our mind, maybe we don't voice that criticism, but maybe in our mind we are critical of someone because they don't see things exactly like we do. You know, maybe there, there's something that, that we just, we're used to it being this way and, and they don't see it that way. And Barnabas went to these Greeks who obviously were of a different culture than he was. They did things differently, but they had one thing in common. They both had experienced the grace of Jesus. They both had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that, to Barnabas, almost got choked, but I made it past it. That, to Barnabas, was the overriding to everything else. That these were brothers and sisters in Christ, and he was there to encourage them. So listen, anytime you're tempted to be critical, and anytime I'm tempted to be critical, I just remember back to Cliff Sims wearing some sandals. And I'm reminded that, you know, I am not God. I am not God. I don't know people's heart. And I need to be very, very careful when I decide that I'm going to be critical of someone just because they don't do things exactly like I do them. There's probably a lot of folks in the world that say, thank God everybody don't do things like you do things. And I'm, I guarantee you, there's folks in the world who, if you want everybody to be like you, they're saying, thank God they're not. You know, God made us all different. He made us all different, but we all have one thing in common, and that is we all have a God-shaped vacuum in our heart that only can be filled by God. Barnabas saw these early believers. They had that, that, that vacuum filled by God, and he went there, and he was not critical, but he encouraged them. Well, quickly, let's move on. Look in verse number 24. It says that he encouraged them with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. And verse 24, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Now, this is very important. We're talking about uh, Barnabas. We're talking about being a Barnabas. I've talked about him being generous and about befriending the friendless and not being critical but being an encourager. But I want to show you something else Barnabas was, and, and this is perhaps not very popular in our modern age, but it's very important to notice the Bible says that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And you can do the same thing, and I can too. Barnabas not only was generous and friendly to those who didn't have friends and an encourager to those who needed to be encouraged, but Barnabas was a holy man. The Bible says, for he was a good man. A good man. Now, we all know that there is none righteous, no, not one. And we all know that we're saved by the grace of God. And I'm the first to preach that and to agree with that. But let me also remind you that we are not to hide behind grace 
and say, well, you know, God is gracious and I'm saved by grace, so it really doesn't matter what I do. You, you know, I can live pretty much the way I want to, but God is a gracious God. He's a loving God. He absolutely is. But my friend, He did not save us. He did not die on the cross because sin is meaningless. He shed His blood because sin is an offense to God, because sin brings judgment. And in James chapter 2, verse 14, uh, the Apostle James, he reminds us of the importance of what we do. It is important what you do. James says, what does it profit, my brethren? In James 2, 14, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works faith was made perfect and the scripture was fulfilled which said Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Listen, there is a very popular theology today. I like to call it cheap grace. And it simply means that, you know, if I confess and I say Jesus is Lord and, and I believe in Jesus, then I pretty much, you know, I mean, my ticket's punched. You know, I'm going to heaven. And, uh, you know, I just pretty much live like I want to live. And, and my ticket's punched. Listen, and, and this, is, this is very important. You can fall off the ditch on either side. It's like this. If I, Loy's not here, so I'll use her this morning. But you know, Loy and I are married, okay. And what if Loy said, you know, I love you? I said, what if she said, I, I, I love you. I love you unconditionally. I love you unconditionally. And I said, wow, she loves me unconditionally. She she loves me just because I'm me. So that means I can do anything, right? You know, I'll just get another wife somewhere else. And she'll still love me unconditionally. Maybe I'll get three wives. Maybe four. I think I'll go back down to one or two. <laughs> you all say that's crazy. She wouldn't, she wouldn't put up with that. Well, she loves me unconditionally, Right? And that's the way some people are about Jesus. They say, well, you know, Jesus loves me just as I am. And, 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 I, and I love Him, so I'm going to kind of do whatever I want to. I'm going to commit spiritual adultery with the world. And then I'm going to expect Him to just embrace me like it never happened. You wouldn't expect your husband or wife to do that. 
And my friend, that's exactly what James is saying. If, if I really love my wife, then I'm going to be faithful to my wife. And if you really love Jesus, if you've really been saved by the grace of God, you, you may be tempted to do some things, but that's not what you're going to want to do. You're not going to want to see how far you can get to the edge without falling off. You're, want to go, you're going to want to see how close can I get to Him. I don't want to do anything that might come between me and Jesus. My goal is not to skirt as close as I can to the edge without falling off. My goal is to get as close as I can to Jesus. And the Bible says that Barnabas was a good man. He was a good man. He lived for God in every part of his life. He was a holy man. And somehow we think, you know, holiness is something for the church down the road that's a different denomination. My friend, holiness is for anybody that follows Jesus. The Bible says that without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And so we, if we're saved by the grace of God and we want to be a Barnabas, then we need to attempt to live a holy life. And how can we do it? Because it said not only was he a good man, but he was full of the Holy Spirit. I cannot overemphasize the importance that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not an option. That's a command. The Bible says in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter... Uh, I'll find it here in a minute on the next page. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. He says, See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or waste, but be filled with the Spirit. There's a command. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, will not your Father give Him to you? You ask. You say, Lord, I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I yield myself to you. I want to walk in the power of your Spirit. I need your Holy Spirit to give me strength and courage to overcome temptation. I need your Holy Spirit to give me wisdom. You simply say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I yield myself to you. I want to be full of your Spirit. Barnabas was a good man. His works matched his confession. His works matched his faith. His walk matched his talk. And he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was yielded to the Spirit of God. He wasn't trying to see how close he could get to the edge without falling off. He was trying to get closer and closer to Jesus every moment. And also it said he was full of faith. Full of faith. I know we need to move on, but I just want to say this regarding faith. Don't be focused on the size of your faith. Remember Jesus said if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. Mustard seed so little you can barely see it. It doesn't matter how big your faith is. What matters. The Bible says to every man a measure of faith is given. Everybody in this building has a measure of faith. You have faith. What's important is where do you place that faith? In whom or in what is that faith placed? Everybody here has faith in something. Some people have faith in the government. God help you. Some people have faith in their spouse. Well, you know, hey, you should love your spouse, but, but don't put faith in your spouse. Your, your spouse can't make you, uh, can't fulfill you. Your spouse can't make you a, quote, happy person. 
Some people have faith in their family or faith in their tradition. Listen, take your faith and put it in God. Not in anybody or anyone else. What little bit of faith you have, put it in Jesus. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. Well, quickly, look there in verse 11. We see Barnabas again in verse 25. What is he doing now? Remember Paul, it says, Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Who's leading who? Saul is going to become a great apostle and a great preacher. He's going to write half of the New Testament. How many books in the New Testament did Barnabas write? Zero. But who's leading who right now? Barnabas is leading Saul. He brings him, the Bible says, to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Barnabas never became an author of a New Testament book. Again, although he did preach, we have no record of a sermon, although we do have Paul's sermons recorded, Peter's sermons recorded. But do we see that Barnabas was jealous? No. You know, sometimes folks don't want to hire somebody they think smarter than them. You ever notice that? You know, listen, if you want to have a good business, you need to hire folks smarter than you are. Some folks are scared. You know, if I hire this guy, he'll take my job. You know, he's smarter than me. You know, he'll be running this place before long. Well, you're a wise owner or a wise manager. If you can find somebody smarter than you, you ought to hire him on the spot. That's the kind of folks you need. And most businesses that are willing to do that become successful because they're not jealous. Well, here we have uh, Barnabas. He was a great developer of the future leader Paul because he was willing to go hand in hand with Paul. He wasn't jealous of Paul, afraid, you know, well, he's going to outshine me. You know, he, he's, gonna, he's a greater uh, preacher, a, a greater evangelist than I am. Barnabas was not jealous. He was willing to help others along the way, help somebody else succeed. Listen, if you help other people succeed, chances are, I know human nature takes over occasionally, but chances are some of those folks you help succeed, you know, are going to turn around one day and see you down there still trying to climb up on that first step. Maybe they'll reach down and give you a hand up, you know, and help you out. But be willing to help someone else succeed. Well, quickly, look in Acts 15, very famous passage. You know, Barnabas and Saul were great friends, but you know, even great friends have disagreements. And all this I've told you about Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. What a friendly person he was. He reached out to Saul. He, he stood by Saul when nobody else would. But did you know that Barnabas and Saul had a great disagreement? And look in, in chapter 15, verse 36, we see the disagreement they had. The Bible says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back. And visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. I mentioned about Barnabas being a good man. Sometimes folks that seemingly live holy lives can be very critical of other people. 
Barnabas was not one. John Mark was a young man who at some point on a missionary journey, he had got homesick and he went with, with Barnabas and Saul and he says, I want to go back home. I'm sure Paul says, no, son, we're out here on the mission field and, and, and we don't have time to worry with sending anybody back home to mama. You've got to stay here with us. He said, no, no, I'm going back home. And I'm sure old Saul, he took out his quill and by John Mark's name, he put a little black mark. He said, I'm going to remind myself I'm not worrying with him anymore. I gave him a chance. Gave him a chance to go on this great adventure and he went back home no more. Never again. Well, they get ready to go, and Barnabas says, Paul, I want to take young John Mark with us. I think he would be a great help. Paul says, absolutely not. No way. We did that before, and we saw how it turned out. He went back home. I'm not taking him. And Barnabas, remember how Barnabas stood by Saul when nobody would, uh, you know, nobody wanted to be around Saul? Barnabas, he, I tell you, he must have been stubborn. He says, yeah, Paul, we need to take him. I think he'll make a, I think he'll really do good this time. And Saul said, Paul says, no, we're not going to do it. And the Bible says they couldn't come to an agreement, so they parted ways. Instead of Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas took John Mark. He went on his missionary journey. Paul chose another partner, Silas. And we remember Paul and Silas as the book of Acts follows them. Well, you might think, well, I wonder if Barnabas' trust was misplaced. You know, the last letter the Apostle Paul wrote was 2 Timothy chapter 4, or 2 Timothy. And in that letter, wrote many years after this happened that we read here in the book of Acts. Listen what Paul says. He says, everybody has abandoned Paul. He's, he's going to die, but he's going to be beheaded uh, by the Romans in just a short period of time. And he says, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with you, for he is profitable to me. For the ministry. Old faithful Barnabas. He reached out to John Mark who had failed. He lifted up the fallen. He says, I'm going to give him a second chance. And old Paul, as he's getting ready to be beheaded, he, he says, Timothy, when you come, bring John Mark with you for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Paul had changed his mind. The great apostle Paul was wrong. The great apostle Paul had changed his mind about young John Mark. Barnabas was right. He lifted up that fall. And the Bible says in Galatians 6, If a man is overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. My friend, if there's somebody that's fallen, it's not our job to beat them up. If they're truly repentant, God has beaten them up. It's our job to lift out a hand and rescue the fallen. Lift up the fallen and bring them back. So, you want to be a worker for God? You don't have to be a Billy Graham. Just be a Barnabas. I present to you we need, we need more Barnabases. God will raise up a Billy Graham. But you can be generous like Barnabas. You can befriend the friendless. You can encourage a beginner. You can be holy. You can be full of the Holy Spirit and put your faith in God. You can help someone develop the gifts they have and you can lift up the fallen. That's what Barnabas did. He was a great encourager and my friend, you can do that too if you'll let God use you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and Lord, we pray that you would raise up Barnabases in our midst. Lord, you would help all of us to be like Barnabas, to be a son of encouragement.
to lift up those that are fallen, to be generous, to be willing to be a friend to the friendless, to be full of the Holy Spirit, to be holy, to be full of faith that is placed in you. God, I pray that you would use us. Let us know that we don't need any special gift or special ability to be a Barnabas. Anybody can be a Barnabas. We just need to be willing to be the person you want us to be, to lay our ourself down, to not be selfish, to be crucified under the flesh, and to walk with you. I pray, Lord, you would help us to be like Barnabas. I pray if there's one here that doesn't know Jesus, Lord, that you would bring them by your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing, if you're here this morning, maybe God has spoken to you. You're welcome to come and pray. I'll be glad to pray with you as we stand and sing.